Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. Good morning, ladies. Welcome to our fall study of 1st and 2nd Samuel. I'm so excited for those of you who are here in this room. I want you to know that there is there are more people meeting in homes and watching us together on live stream this morning. So we're about 92 in number for for this Thursday morning group. And so I'm just so excited that we can be together. And I do need to go over just a few ground rules. I know you've already heard this, but I'm just going to say it again. I just want to tell you thank you for those of you who are here for wearing masks the whole time that we're together. I know that's hard. And thank you for keeping your distance from each other even when you're visiting. Um, you can see that we're not offering food or drink here, but I want you to feel free to bring your own drink and your own snack. Just don't bring and share with other people food or drink, okay? And then I know the hardest one is not to hug or touch each other when we're here. And so I just wanted to tell you guys, my favorite gesture is this heart hug. Everybody do this. I'll feel your love. <laughs> so let's, let's greet each other with a heart hug when we, when we see each other together in the building. Well, I hope that you guys had a great time in your discussion groups. I hope you that met in homes had a great time getting to know one another this morning. I want you to know, for those of you here, we will always start in that same room that you were this morning for discussion. So when you get here, just go straight to that room. We'll try to start as best we can at 930. But I want, you, I want to tell you that we do discussion groups like this, and we do it first for an important reason. I want you discussing with the women in your group what God has taught you during your week of study in the Word, rather than what he's taught me or other teachers who might stand here before you. So I want you to value your personal time in the Word of first. I want that to be the most important part of this study for you, because that's where God teaches you the most specifically and most personally in your time in the Word. And then I want you to value coming up here and meeting with other women and sharing what God has taught you. What he has taught you is so important to everyone else in the group. That is how we best interpret the word together when we share what God has taught us. And so I want you to value that secondly. And then the final thing, what I want to be least important to you, and it's definitely least important to me, is this time where we gather here and, and I or other teachers teach you from the word. I want you to know that all of us, there's going to be five teachers. We're all different ages and stages of life. We're all just co-learners with you. We're all studying First and Second Samuel together. And when we get up here, we're just sharing for 30 minutes what God has put on our heart that week. And maybe sharing some personal application that he's pressed into us. Some weeks we're going to be studying as many as nine chapters together. So you know that that's not enough time for us to teach you everything that there is to learn in that, in that section of the text. And so we are trusting, all of us are trusting together that we are spending time in the Word personally, that we're discussing with a group of people before we come here and hear the teaching. So I hope that that, that, that makes sense to you. That's why we do it the way that we do it. Well, every week, I'm going to start um, in the same way every week. Uh, we usually have, have had a time of worship, and we're being asked right now not to not to sing together. And so, I, but I want us to set our hearts and our minds and our affection on God before we get into the time of teaching every week. And so what I'm going to do each week is I'm going to direct our thoughts to a Psalm of David 
a psalm that was written during the events of 1st and 2nd Samuel. And I'll just pick a small part of it, and I'm going to read it for you, and I'm going to ask you to meditate on it, to, to, to let it hit you. What is something in the words, a, a word or a phrase that maybe stands out to you? Think about it, and then respond in a silent prayer to God before I pray for us together. Okay? So today, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read from Psalm 59, and this is a psalm that David wrote when he was experiencing a lot of chaos and fear. We're going to learn a lot about David this semester. And he, he was a very unique guy. He had his heart open to worship and to lament and to repentance in the words that he writes in the Psalms. And so this one is, um, is no different. Psalm 59, I'm going to be reading verse 16 and 17. It's going to be up on the screen here for you. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the days of my distress. Oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you. For you, O oh God, are my fortress who shows me steadfast love. So let's just think on those words. I want you to close your eyes and, and just respond in a silent prayer, and then I'll close this together. Oh God, we do praise you. We praise you because of your strength. We praise you for your steadfast love this morning. We praise you that you are a fortress and a refuge for us in the days of distress. God, we are so, so humbled to be in your presence. We want to worship you together. We join our hearts together. We rest in you. God, would you teach us this morning? Would you teach us to trust you? We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, is it just me or is anyone else into shows like this? Anybody else watched either any of these? Why, why are we so in to British royalty shows? Yes, there are castles and crowns and dresses and drama, and even in these women in charge. But I think there is so much more to it than that. I think that as image bearers of the King of Kings, our hearts were made to long for a kingdom. Well, the word kingdom, it, it simply means the dominion of a king. And that sounds a little concerning to our American ears. We fought for freedom from a king, after all. But I want to suggest to you this morning that one of our deepest longings is to be part of a different kind of kingdom, the kingdom of God, where God, the perfect and pure king, reigns supreme, and where we are safe in his protection and his provision and his guidance. We long to wear his name. We long to share in his inheritance and to bring him honor as his children. In so many ways, this is foreign to our cultural identity. God's kingdom, ladies, is not a democracy. It's not bolstered by rugged individualists. 
It's made of a people, a people who have died to self and become part of Christ himself, his body. It's a people totally surrendered to his kingship over every aspect of our lives. Well, I trust that God is going to teach us a lot this year about what his kingdom is all about. So this fall, we are studying these books of 1st and 2nd Samuel, where God really solidifies the kingdom of Israel under his king. And it's going to point us to the anointed one, the Messiah who is to come, the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. And then this spring, we'll follow Jesus in the fulfillment of that kingdom that he brought near to us in the Gospel of Mark. So I'm looking forward to what God is going to teach us this year in Bible study together. Well, if you have studied with us before, you know that we look at every book of the Bible through a lens of context. We want to look at three layers of context to these books of 1st and 2nd Samuel together this morning. And I'm borrowing these words from Jen Wilkins' book, Women of the Word. Highly recommend it to all of you. But we're going we're gonna to look at these three lenses, these three areas of context today. Purpose, perspective, and process. So we're going to start with purpose. What is the purpose of the Bible? What is the big story of God? And where do these books, the books of Samuel, fit into that story? Well, I want to tell you that the Bible is one continuous story. God revealing himself to us as Father, Son, and Spirit. All, from Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation 22. All of the Old Testament is pointing to God revealing himself in Jesus Christ. And all of the New Testament is looking back on his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his imparting of the Spirit to the church. And so for us, living in light of his resurrection, we are looking forward to that day when he'll return again and where he will set all things right. Maybe you've heard that story described with these four words. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Well, you remember in Genesis 1 and 2, God created everything from nothing. But then the pinnacle of that creation, in his image, he created male and female, Adam and Eve. And then in Genesis 3, when those two people were given the choice, were they going to believe that what God said was good was good or what they said was good was good? They chose themselves, and they decided to eat from that one tree that God told them not to eat from, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now they experienced brokenness, a broken relationship with God, a broken relationship with self, with each other, and even with their work. And so God was so gracious and kind, instead of letting them stay in that garden, in that broken state and live forever, he kicked them out where they would die. And he left an angel, remember this, guarding the gate with a flaming sword. And he was saying to them, the only way that you're going to come back into a relationship with me, like you had in the garden, is for you to go under that sword. But we know that they couldn't do it. None of us could. Only one could go under that sword on our behalf. It was all pointing to Jesus and his, the redemption that he brought us as our redeemer, but that, you know, Jesus doesn't show up on the scene as a baby in a manger until the Gospels, until Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then 
this picture of restoration, we have a vision of it in Revelation, but you and I, we're still waiting for that day, right? So what in the world is the rest of the Old Testament about, from Genesis 3 all the way to the Gospels? What is all of that about? Oftentimes, I think we don't pay very much attention to this whole section of the Old Testament. It's 38 more books. Um, And the reason that we don't is because we see ourselves as fallen, right? We're a sinner, and we need the redemption of Jesus, and he comes in the New Testament. So, you know, whatever else happened in the Old Testament, I don't really need to know. But I want to suggest to you that the Old Testament helps us to understand that Jesus came much, came to do more than to be our Savior. He came to usher in the kingdom of God, to be our reigning king. So the heart of the Old Testament, the heart of what we learn and the rest of it, is about the kingdom of God. What does it mean and who is God's king? And so we're going to be trying to learn and study and and think about those things together this semester. So I want us to try to fill in what we have already learned. We've been studying this Old Testament narrative for the past three years. We're in our fourth year. And so I want to put some some flesh onto this kingdom of God that we've already been studying about. So if you'll bear with me, we're going to have another diagram like the one you just saw. So three years ago, we began a journey through the Old Testament. In Genesis, we saw God establish a covenant with one man, Abram, who would become Abraham and his family. Remember, in Genesis 12, God told Abram, I am going to make you into a great nation. In fact, I will bless all the people of the earth through you. And God cut this covenant. Remember, he is the one who who promised that he was going to keep it no no matter how badly Abram's family would mess up. God was going to keep this covenant with him. And so Abraham had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had a son named Jacob. And one night, Jacob wrestled with an angel all night, and God changed his name from Jacob to Israel, one who wrestles with God and overcomes. And so in the 400 years between Genesis and Exodus, Jacob's descendants become the nation of Israel, a tribe for each of his 12 sons, with Joseph's, Joseph's tribe split into two half-tribes, and they are enslaved in Egypt. Well then, two years ago, we studied Exodus through Deuteronomy, and we saw this nation delivered from slavery by God's mighty hand through his servant Moses, a series of plagues and the parting of the Red Sea. And then we saw God set this people apart again as his covenant people by giving them the law on Mount Sinai, so that they would abide by God's law in contrast to everyone around them as a light to the nations. God wanted to to shine brightly by giving them this covenant law. And then last year, in the book of Joshua, Joshua, we saw that after wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, God led this nation into the promised land of Canaan through God's servant Joshua, conquering their enemies in the name of the Lord. Then in the book of Judges, just one generation later, we saw it all fall apart. Israel spiraled into cycles of disobedience and idolatry, a time when, remember, there was no king in Israel, where everyone did what was right in his own eyes. But true to his promise, God did not abandon them. 
He raised up judges to rescue Israel and to give them a form of peace as they would spiral deeper and deeper into sin. Ironically, this period of judges lasts for another 400 years. The last judge and the first prophet of Israel we will meet this week in our homework. His name is Samuel. Well, this summer in the book of Ruth, during that dark period of time in the judges, we learned about this family, Ephrathites from Bethlehem, and you're going to meet another Ephrathite this week in your homework. That was the family of Elimelech and Naomi. And their daughter-in-law, Ruth, a Moabite, she, she's gonna, she restored their family line by marrying Boaz, the son of Rahab, their kinsman redeemer. And she had a grandson, or she gave Naomi a grandson named Obed. And we're going to meet Obed's son, Jesse, in 1 Samuel. And we're going to meet his grandson, David, this semester. This great-grandson of Ruth, David, will be God's chosen king for Israel. And God will establish a new covenant with him, establishing a new kingdom that will lead all the way to Jesus Christ, our reigning king. Well, next, when we study any book, we want to study, we want to look at it through the lens of perspective, Who are the people, places, events that surround our two books that we're studying this semester? So we always ask these same basic questions. I hope you never get tired of hearing them. But we always ask the same questions of the text to try to help us understand some perspective. So we start with, who wrote it? Well, ironically, this book is not written by Samuel, even though it bears his name. We know that because it chronicles his death and I don't think he could have written about his own death. Um, But the author or authors of of these books are anonymous to us, possibly prophets who are contemporaries of Samuel. They definitely speak from a very prophetic viewpoint in these books. Well, to whom were these books written? They were written for the children of Israel. They were a history for them, chronicling God as their ultimate king, And then the subsequent human prophets and priests and kings that would serve with and without his blessing during Israel's kingdom history. Well, when? When were these books written? Likely, these books were written pretty soon after the events actually occurred. But we're going to talk about the events themselves. I want you to know kind of when they happened. They, these, these books are describing the time frame of the United Kingdom of Israel under the leadership of Saul, King Saul and King David. So for a little bit of just timeline, Samuel is born in 1100 BC. Saul takes the throne in about 1050 BC and he reigns for 40 years. David takes the throne around 1010 BC and he reigns for another 40 years. So we're talking about a lot of time that these books are covering. I want you to get a sense of that before we dive into it. Well, next, what style is this book written in? Well, First and Second Samuel are actually one continuous story. In Hebrew, they were just one book called Samuel. We, like, we divided them up into two for some reason. 
These books form an an historical, hysterical, a historical narrative. It is kind of funny, though, some of it, with an emphasis on key theological concepts. They place before us an interpretation of God's mighty acts and their implications for Israel and for our lives. Now, I don't know if you are as into uh, literature as I am, but I just love a good story. And if you like good stories, this is going to be really, really good. It's got all kinds of elements to literary uh, fiction that I love, but this is not fiction. But it's got plot, it's got characterization, it's got great climaxes, it's got drama, relational um, issues going on. It's just full. It's rich. It's a great story, and I think you're going to have a lot of fun reading it. And then what's so cool about this is that the book of Samuel is one is bookended by two really amazing poems. You're going to read the first one uh, this week in your homework. Well, actually, you're going to read them both. Uh, The first one happens in 1 Samuel chapter 2, and it's a song that was sung by Hannah. It's really a poem, and it, and it forms the table of contents for the whole book. And we're going to study that a lot in our homework. Uh, it's going to refer us back to 1 Samuel chapter 2 as all these events occur. But it's a beautiful poem that Hannah wrote. And in the end, 2 Samuel, in 2 Samuel 22, there's a song of David. And it serves as an appendix to the book where he's looking back on all that has happened and he's describing it in this beautiful poetic language. I think it's just so beautiful to see the, to see the books bookended that way. Well, finally, what are the major themes? We always want to consider what the themes are in a book before we dive into it so that we can be looking for these all throughout our study together. So let's talk about um, some of the major themes. The first one is simple, but it's so hard for Israel to understand. It's sometimes really hard for us to understand. God is king. Israel's primary covenant relationship is to be to God. He always desires to be their foremost king, but they struggle with it and struggle with it. They want somebody who's in the flesh. They just, they just can't trust God as their king. So we want to be looking for that this semester. Secondly, this, these books are going to help us see the difference between man's definition of king and God's definition of king. So we will compare the people's king, Saul, to God's king, David, all semester long. We'll evaluate their use and abuse of power and submission to God's authority and leadership. I want you to always be looking for, there's this language in First and Second Samuel of the king being a prince rather than a king. I think that's so interesting. There to be a prince, a son of the king. The king of kings, God, is to be their king always. The hinge point of these books happens in 1 Samuel 31 with the death of Saul and the subsequent reign of David and how that will ultimately point us to Jesus. So the third theme that I really want you to pay attention for and look for is this covenant that God is going to make with Israel through David. It's called the Davidic covenant, and it's so important to all the rest of the Bible This is where God promises that a son of David will rule forever. And that son will ultimately be Jesus Christ. I think a mistake that many of us make when we study these two books of the Bible is that we want to make them into a character study of David. And we want to try to see him as a man that we should emulate, a man after God's own heart. And he is described that way. 
But I want you to see that David, yes, he is God's chosen king, but he is deeply flawed. It's, you're not going to have to look too hard to find this. He has the same sinful nature of all mankind. And so even though he is a type of Christ and he's going to point us to Christ, he ultimately shows us his desperate need for a savior, one who would come after him. Well, David's heart will help us to see, even Saul's heart too, will help us to see the nature of true repentance. I want you to be looking for that. What does it mean to really repent and to trust in God? David is going to help us to see his heart exposed as we're going to be looking at a lot of the Psalms that he wrote. He's such a poet. He's such a poet. He wrote beautiful Psalms that open a window into his heart and show his deep repentance. And we're going to look at some of those together this semester. Well, next, um, these books introduce Zion or Jerusalem as the designated place by God where David's son Solomon will establish the temple for the worship of God, Israel's true king. So in these books, David is going to have a heart and want to build this temple. And he's going to start gathering materials and supplies, but he's not going to be the one to get to, to build it. His son will, but we're going to be introduced to this concept. So those are the, those are the five major themes that I want you to be looking for. But the, the question that I want you to be asking yourself every week in your study of these books is this last one. What kingdom do you belong to? And who is your king? Don't just read these and think about Israel and Saul and David. I want you to think about what kingdom do you belong to? And who is your king? Well, finally, we want to... Amy, sorry. We want to consider process together. How are we actually going to study the books of First and Second Samuel? And I say the same thing every year, but we, huh? Oh, no, it bounced. One more. Ah, I'm sorry, live stream. There we go. Nope. There we go. Process. How are we going to do this? So I say this every year, but we always engage in what we call inductive Bible study. Um, even though we use different homework books and different authors, we're always in the same basic three-step process that tries to deal with the details of the text itself to understand what the text means and then how to apply it to our lives. So there's three, three layers of inductive Bible study. We're going to start with the first one, observation. I know this goes without saying, but we really want to observe what the text actually says. That means that we're going to read it. We're going to read all of it, all of First and Second Samuel I'm going to ask you to read. And it's so important that you do. And so I want to just encourage you, even if you can't get to anything else in your homework on a given week, would you please open up your Bible and just read the chapters for that week? Just read them. Read them from start to finish. And I'm actually asking all of you to start your Bible study each week that way by reading the, the text in its entirety. So this week, 1 Samuel 1 to 3, read it all. And then maybe jot a few questions or a few notes down in your, in your journal. Just asking some basic questions. And if you have that resource and discussion guide that your, um, hopefully your leaders sent you, it's on page 13, but I give you a little, a little technique to do to go through the text and to ask some basic questions. You just want to ask 
who or what is happening here who are the main characters there's a lot of different names and it's hard to follow sometimes so just jotting down who we're talking about is helpful when is the action occurring what is the sequence of events what's happening first and second and third etc and then where are these things taking place I gave you uh, several maps in that resource guide, but hopefully you have a good Bible with maps. Sometimes it's really helpful to open those up and see where the action is taking place. And then why, why does this matter and how did these events occur? So those five basic W questions and one H question. So try to do that the first day. I think that's really helpful and just orient you. Before you jump into the homework, which is, which is asking you deeper questions. So next we move to interpretation we want to ask ourselves what does the text mean and I don't want you to ask just what does it mean to me we actually want to ask what does the text mean these books have an actual meaning that's determined by the author and discovered by us as the reader so we want to try to figure out what was the author trying to say what is he trying to communicate to us in these books. And so we're going to do that by answering our homework questions. Our homework questions are going to lead you through this process of interpretation. It might direct you to another part of scripture to help you understand what a concept means or what a, a set of words means. You may actually have to get out a, an actual dictionary and look up a word and try to figure out what, is it, what does it mean. I don't understand that concept. And then when we come together as a discussion group, we do the process of interpretation as well by talking about what we have discovered the text to mean and kind of broadening our understanding when we see other people's perspectives. I want to encourage you, if you have a hard time getting your homework done each week, I want to encourage you to try to find a homework buddy. That might be somebody at your table group or it may just be someone else doing this study in another environment. But find somebody that you can call and kind of bounce questions off of each other. You may even want to get together and do your homework together. That can be a really encouraging way to get it done. If you have kids, have them play in another room and you and your, uh, you and your friend do your homework together at the kitchen table. I mean, with an eye on them, of course. You don't want to leave them unattended. <laughs> but I, I just really think that that's a great way to spur one another on is to do homework together, if you're, especially if you're having a hard time. Well, finally, we want to consider application. Once we decide what does the text say, what does it mean, well, we can't stop there. I mean, what, it's, it should move us to do something. It's either going to compel us to change the way we think about something, or it's going to change the way that we behave. And we want to trust the Holy Spirit to be the one who will teach and convict and guide us into righteousness. And I really want to encourage you to be open to that process, to really ask God, what is it you want me to know? How do you want me to change? And trust that the Holy Spirit is the one that's doing that work of sanctification in you. So uh, you have a unique little section this year in your homework. After you finish your homework questions, you're going to have a, a little teaching section, and it's always divided into three sections. One is called Gospel Glimpses, and it's going to give you some insight on how that part of the text points to Jesus and to the gospel. And then you're going to have another section called, what is it called, guys, the big picture? Something like that. Um, whole Bible Connections. It's going to show you where that part of the text fits into this whole story of God. And then you're going to have a section called Theological Soundings, which kind of gives you insight onto a concept 
that's maybe highlighted in that part of the text. This week it'll be about prayer. So I want you to read those, and then at the, on the last page of your homework, you just have some blank lines where you're supposed to write down what was your takeaway from that section. So I really want to encourage you to do that. Write down something that kind of stood out to you in that week's, in that week's um, teaching, and you're going to talk about that every week in discussion as a way to spur one another on into application. What is God asking us to change? How is he, how is he asking us uh, to change our thinking about something? So, so come ready to be applying these texts together as a group. I really want you to think of your group this year as a mini family unit. I want you to share encouragement with one another. I want you to challenge one another. And I really want you to pray for one another. I'm also going to be asking us to join together as kingdom ambassadors this year. And I always like to give you some kinds of... Um, service projects to engage in together as a group for to sacrifice for each other, but also to sacrifice for the sake of the world. That's what God has called us into on mission with him. So be looking this week. I'm going to be sending out um, a video about the 411 House, which is an organization here in Temple that we can support and help. And so you're going to be um, send that to your leaders who will send it on to you. And we'll talk about ways that we can um, support them over the next few months. Well, those are the three, the three uh, levels, layers of context. I want to conclude uh, by just asking you, rather than a fascination with, with royalty, will you pledge with me our loyalty this year to the King of Kings? to Jesus Christ, our Lord, and can we find our identity as his kingdom citizens? More than any other semester, we are going to be inundated with political rhetoric and a demand to take sides. And friends, I just want to tell you that the kingdom of God is so much bigger than that. So much bigger than that. While God does call us to honor our leaders and to pursue peace, we must define our identity the way that God does, as his people, as citizens of his kingdom. Well, King David, he shared this allegiance to the kingdom of God in one of the many psalms that he wrote. So I want to close by just reading this to you from Psalm 103, 19 to 22, and praying together. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Let's pray together. We do praise you, God, as our great king, and we do long to identify ourselves as your kingdom citizens. Would you help us? Would you help us to understand what your kingdom is all about as we study these two books this semester? Would you open our eyes to see something new? Would you convict us, Lord, through your Holy Spirit? Would you, would you cause us to want to change the way we think and the way that we behave? To see you so clearly that we want to align ourselves to your will to your holiness, to your righteousness. We're excited, God. We trust that you're going to do that. You're going to do that through us and in us and um, 
among us this semester. So we give you all praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, ladies, you are dismissed. Um, it is okay to visit for just a few minutes, but I want us to try to...